Who are you? Who are you? I think this is the defining question of our cultural moment. So much of us spend a lot of our lives expressing our identity, trying to discover our identity, trying to assemble our identity. Who are you? I'm 33 years old, which means that growing up as a kid, I was fed a steady diet of Disney. And this was before streaming was a thing. And so we got given one DVD or one VHS and we played that until the DVD player or the VHS player blew up again and again and again. Whether it was Lion King or The Little Mermaid or Aladdin, we watched that over and over and over and over. And one of the messages that I ingested from watching so much Disney as a kid is that one of the most important things for you to discover is who you are, to be who you truly are in your heart. Not what other people tell you to do, not who other people tell you to be, not who society or culture tells you to be, not who your family tells you to be. Be who you truly are. But in that is a problem. To be who you are, you actually have to know who you are. And if you don't know who you are, then you are in trouble. Who are you? It's actually quite a complex and deep question. And we, we, we all would have ways that we might answer it. I could tell you, well, I'm, I'm a young. Okay? I belong to the young family. I could tell you where I work. I, I work as a pastor. I talk about Jesus with young people and young adults. I could tell you who I love. I love my family. I love my wife, Sarah. I love my kids, Nathan and Isaac. I could tell you what I love, that I love the Richmond Football Club. I love cycling. But even that is tricky because my identity is broader and deeper than any of those things. My identity is deeper than just my last name. It's bigger than what I do for work. It's deeper than what or who I love. And so we're left with the same question. Who actually are you? Who actually am I? And in our culture, each individual is given essentially the task to discover, assemble, create, form your own identity each and every day. As one of our leading social commentators, the great Taylor Swift, once said, the task of discovering who you are and who you want to be and of getting there. That's what life is about. And here's the great news. It's up to you. Here's the terrifying news. It's up to you. Well, Taylor Swift was right. That is terrifying news if it's up to me. It sounds freeing and exhilarating, because it means that essentially I could be whoever I want to be. Except that is actually terrifying because although I could be whoever I want to be, it's totally up to me to discover, to assemble, to form that identity. And every single day that identity is on the line. Every single day. Which is why when we come to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 that this is such a precious, precious gift. And God said, let us make man in our image 
after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. This is one of the most precious, influential, formative sentences that has ever been written down in any book anywhere throughout history. That God, the creator of everything that is, was and will be, has put his image into mankind, into each of us, into every man and woman. That he has given us purpose, value, dignity and worth. And it is entirely a gift. This is not something to be discovered. Our identity is not to be revealed. Our identity is not to be assembled or formed or created. It is not to be lost because it is given to us by God. It is not dependent upon your age or stage of life. It is not dependent upon your bank balance. It is not dependent upon how much you know or how little you know. It is not dependent upon having a house. It is not dependent upon being successful. Every single person who has ever lived has the image of God in them and has purpose and value and dignity and worth. It's not up to me. This is a gift from God. Sorry, Taylor Swift. If you're listening to the Proclaim podcast, feel free to still send me error tickets. No shade here, but you are wrong in this regard. This is the long breath out. Who am I? I am made in the image of God. Who are you? You are made in the image of of God. In the ancient world, this, this sentence would have actually crafted a whole series of thoughts because in that world, images were incredibly meaningful. That different gods who people worship would have images made up of themselves and they would convey their essence, that there would be something of their character in these images. Kings would set up images and statues on themselves wherever they wanted to convey their authority. Wherever you saw an image, it was meant to mean something. But God doesn't make statues. God makes us. We are his image. And it conveys at least three things. To be made in the image of God conveys essence it conveys relationship and it conveys function. The image of God is not something simply that, uh, that, is, is, is that we, we hold, as in we hold the bearer of image. It's something that we are. It's not something that can be lost or taken off or stripped from us. This is who we are. This is who you are. You have dignity. You have value. You have work worth in your essence because God has made you in his image. But it also conveys relationship. What's the first thing that God does in verse 28 after he makes mankind in his image? He speaks to them. God blessed them and God said 
to them. The very first thing that God does is an act of relationship. God built us to be in relationship with each other and with Him. That's part of what having the image of God means. Is that He doesn't just gift this to anyone. The animals can't talk with God, but humanity can because we have the image of God. But also, it describes our function. What has God been doing in the first six days of creation? Well, in a sense, he's been responding to the problem that we see in verse 2. In verse 2, the earth is described without form and void. And so what God has been doing over those six days of creation has been filling the world and forming the world. In the first three days, he fills it. He fills it with light. He fills it with a whole bunch of different things. And then he forms the world. And in essence, what he gives to us is the same charge. What God has been doing, he gives to us to follow in his footsteps. Let's just read from 26 again. He says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And in verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What we see is that God creates and in His image our function is to create. That God fills the earth and in His image we are to fill the earth that God forms the world around us and in His image we are to form the world around us. We follow in His footsteps because He has given us His image. And no, this is not just an individual task. God said to them, and, and it could very well be that He's just talking about Adam and Eve, but actually this is something that Adam and Eve can't fulfill on their own. See, the first function that God gives them is to be fruitful and multiply, which is in essence to have kids and have your kids have kids and have their kids have kids as well. This is something that Adam and Eve can't do by themselves. This is a community task that God has given to fill the world and to form the world. It's one of the most profound things. Hold up a bit. Let's go with that. Interesting. It's one of the most profound things that every single person you meet in your day-to-day life is made in the image of God. Every single person you encounter when you walk, when you drive, where you work is made in the image of God. Every person you like is made in the image of God and every person you don't really like is made in the image of God. And all of us are given this task together. It's not just an individual. This is a communal task. And what is the task that God has given? Well, he gives two things in particular, and they relate to filling the world and forming the world. He has given us to be fruitful and multiply, in the words of verse 28. 
And he has given us to subdue and have dominion, to subdue and have rule. And what does that mean? Let's go through. Be fruitful and subdue. One and two. Well, to be fruitful and multiply literally means to have children. And to have your children have children, to have your children's children have children, and so on and so forth. Which is one of my favorite things, that I have a a number of friends who aren't Christians, and they tell me all the time that the Bible is anti-sex. It's page one. Go have babies. Go make babies. There's There's a proper context, there's a proper frame for that, and that's marriage. But God said the first commandment that he gives to them, be fruitful and multiply. Go have babies. I don't know what you're talking about. But it's interesting, actually, that this has really practical functions. Really, really practical functions. I don't know if you've uh, been seeing any economists lately freak out about the reproductive rate in our country. It used to be when I was growing up that what people were freaking out about was overpopulation. But now economists are starting to freak out about the opposite. In the top 15 economies around the world, none of them have a reproduction rate above two children, which is what is needed for a couple to replace themselves. Every single one has a reproductive rate below two. And this has severe implications. It means acute job shortages, insecure economies, insecure housing situations, a growing and older population that needs more and more health care and more and more funding. It, in essence, means a more unstable world. Liz Allen, who's a lecturer and teacher at ANU University, said that if Australia gets to 1.5 or 1.6 kids per, uh, per couple, we are in great strife. Well, six months later, Australia hit 1.58 kids per couple. This has literal implications. When we aren't fruitful and aren't multiplying, it affects the world around us. But we also have to wrestle with the other reality is what if I can't? What if I can't have kids? What if I'm I desperately want to have kids, but I can't. I, I, I don't have a partner. I don't have, uh, I'm not married. I, I, I literally physically can't. Well, this is, this is not a hypothetical situation for me. About six months, uh, six years ago, uh, my wife was diagnosed with a, a rare and aggressive type of cancer. So she was diagnosed with mediastinal large B-cell lymphoma. And uh, by the grace of God, Uh, She is healed and there is no cancer, no tumor. But for two years after her treatment, we were not sure whether we would be able to have kids. And this is like I've wanted to be a dad since I've wanted to be anything. This is so deeply ingrained in who I wanted to be. And by the grace of God, we were able to have kids. But if we were not, what would we have done? we go back to what God has said in verse 26, that he has made us in his image, that we have value and dignity and worth and purpose. And that comes before the command. That comes before the activity. And so if we were not able to have kids, we would still have value and dignity and worth because we are made in the image of God. 
And that would not have been easy. But what we would have done is to have applied that truth to our heart every single day, day after day after day, that we are deeply and profoundly loved. Deeply and profoundly, we have been given an identity that doesn't depend on the outcome. On this side of heaven, there are many things that our hearts desire that we do not receive. And yet we come back to our identity coming from God. It's a gift that cannot be lost. But God then says to subdue and have dominion over the world around us. In 1967, there was a very influential uh, journal called Science. Uh, and one of the articles posted in this article essentially laid the problems of our ecological world, the reason why our world is struggling, why there's so many ecological crises. It laid it at Genesis chapter 1. It said, what you read in Genesis 1 is that God has given the world for man and women to exploit. And exploit is a very powerful and loaded word. And the problem is it almost means the exact opposite in Genesis 1. The world is not given for us to exploit. The world is given for us to take care of. To subdue and have dominion doesn't necessarily mean violent rule. It doesn't mean that we're kings and queens and we can do whatever we like. No, we're, we're, we're following our Lord Jesus. We're following God. It actually probably means something far more similar to cultivation. And we do so as people who are made in God's image. We take care of the world. We cultivate the world. We form the world in God's image. Does God misuse the world around us? No. Does God, is he God unwise in how he uses his resources? No. Is God cruel in how he cares after animals or how he cares after land? No. And so we cannot be if we are to follow in God's footsteps. This is in part what it means to image God, that we reflect Him to the world. It's why Genesis chapter 1 has been so influential. This idea, I think, is being constantly lost in our culture. The idea that we have value and dignity and worth and purpose. I think we need to impress it upon our hearts day after day because it changes a whole lot. It changes how we see ourselves for one. My identity is not something to be discovered, not something to be revealed, and not something that can be lost. It's a gift from God. It changes how we see everyone we come into contact with. Proclaim is, is a church plant. We are eagerly looking for people in this area to come to know Jesus, but we don't do thinking that we are better than them. Why? Because God has imprinted His image upon them. He loves them. And so do we. It changes how we see our world. That this is not just something for us to shape and form as we want, but something to shape and form as, we, as God has done with loving care and a generous heart. But also it shapes how we see God. See, all of this was given not just for mankind to be kings and queens over our domain, but so that we might reflect God's glory. 
The whole purpose, the whole point is what we see is that God's goodness and greatness goes forth. And so as we are seen, as we image God well, God might be glorified. God's name might be lifted high. See, in the ancient days, statues and images will be made to reflect the glory of the gods that they were made. God did not make statues. God made us. And so our task is, in essence, to bring Him glory, to bring Him praise. We don't just look back, we look forward. See, God has made us in His image. One of the clearest descriptions of Jesus in Colossians chapter 1 is that He is the image of the invisible God. As we walk together in discipleship, as we walk together in trying to image God well, we look to Jesus. See, in the first six days of creation, God fills the earth and forms it and gives us the same task. But one of the reasons that Jesus has come is to fill us and to form us. And so that when we don't image God well, we have a pathway back. When we don't image Him well, we can see exactly who we are called to be. We're not called to be whatever we want. We want to be like Jesus. He is the image of God in perfection. And so, friends, I pray today, tomorrow, this week, that we would leave this place knowing irrevocably, deeply, that you have an identity that comes from God. And as we walk together towards Jesus, we see God well, both in Jesus but also in each other. I pray that people would see us, see the image of God in us and glorify Him forever. May I pray for us now. God, we live in a culture that is constantly trying to work out who they are. Who am I? Well, God, may you give us a settled disposition that the most important word in that conversation is not who we say we are, but who you say we are. You have made us in your image. We have dignity and value and worth and purpose, and that cannot be taken from us. God, may we treat those around us with the same value and worth that you have seen fit to put inside of them. May we treat our world with the same value that you have seen to bestow upon it something to be lovingly cared for, not destroyed. And God, may we do so all for your glory. May we do so that you might be worshipped, that you might be seen as glorious. May we look to Jesus, the image of the invisible God. And as we walk towards him, we might glorify you forever. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus.